Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 73 of Hypnosis Weekly. friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a barnstorming show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest, Dr. Janet Hall. Then we'll have this week's hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured, offering up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media, and also comment on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest, Dr. Jan. We'll be talking about the use of hypnosis within sex therapy and examining the subject of sex therapy in general. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the Hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do go give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. I'll be a BFF if you do. Um, And it takes, you know, a couple of seconds only, a couple of clicks to give us a favourable rating. So go do that, please. So first of all, today is uh, this week's interview with Dr. Janet Hall, uh, based all the way over in Australia. Um, um, so, so at times there's a, a little bit of um, um, poor quality as far as uh, the, the line is concerned, but um, um, the information is still uh, uh, just wonderful. Um, Jan is someone that I've known professionally for a number of years as we, we've offered her, her audio programs on my own website. And um, I've wanted her on the show for a while now. As, having a, as well as having a, a strong academic background, she's explored the field of hypnosis and is a real leading figure with uh, her specialist subject that we're going to be discussing later on in the show. And there's so much of value in that discussion. Um, um, and within this interview, look out for some real major golden nuggets. Anyway, let's, uh, let's get on with it, shall we? Uh, for now, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume, sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview with Dr. Janet Hall. So as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome to Hypnosis Weekly the one and only Dr. Jan Hall. Jan, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Thank you, Adam. It's just so wonderful to be here. Great. So let's learn a little bit about you. Can you tell us a little bit, how did you get into this field? Tell us a bit about your background and how you've arrived at where you are now. 
Okay, well, I started out when I was studying undergraduate psychology at Monash University in Melbourne. We had a a, a, a biomedical library which was um, chiefly for the sciences, and uh, I was supposed to be reading, you know, relevant studies, and I would sneak off and find the hypnosis section and <laughs> study the books there which were very rare and hard to get because what people need to know is that I do go way back. Um, I'm not as old as Methuselah, but I think that I'm probably <laughs> one of the oldest in the field still going. And um, and so that was just so fascinating for me. I just couldn't shake it off. Yeah. So when I, when I graduated as a psychologist and I was working in private practice, uh, I found out about our Australian Society for Hypnosis and I was uh, in those days. They had very strict requirements where they would only allow uh, medicos, uh, dental uh, dentists, and psychologists as members. In fact, that only loosened up about uh, about eight years ago. Uh, nowadays, you have to have at least some kind of degree in order to be a member of the Australian Society for Hypnosis. Yeah. So we had then just a one-year course. And um, and it was really only a monthly meeting, but there was a very stringent examination, uh, which was uh, case studies, which was oral as well as a written examination. Yeah. And because I often piled too many things on myself, uh, I went and sat for the exam um, uh, six weeks before I had my first baby. And in fact, I did my oral exam six weeks afterwards and I had... Um, I oh, had wow. had I had had hypnosis because I wanted to have the perfect natural birth and and everything uh, was meant as the universe meant and I had an emergency cesarean and uh, and I remember doing my doing my self hypnosis and the anesthetist was uh, ready to do the epidural and uh, said are you all right what what are you doing are you all right <laughs> and and I was I was most <laughs> I was most cross with him because I was, you know, really going into it because, you know, it's still quite painful to have an adrenaline, uh, uh, sorry, one of those uh, things put in your back. Yeah. Anyway, so I had my baby. I did my exam. I managed to scrape through and off I did um, continuing always my, my, my affiliation with the uh, society and I still am now. And then, so that was the age of 32. So by, by about the age of 38, um, I had uh, finished my PhD, which was nothing to do with hypnotic phenomenon or even really um, adult psychology. It was uh, something which I innovated and created based on the fact that I'd had a, um, I had a, a Rotary Award to study in the United States at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and one of our main um, uh, courses was to design a PhD project. So how handy was that? Great. Anyway, so that was about kids monitoring their achievement at school and feeding that back to, the, to, to home. So I got that PhD, and then I was kind of bored. It's like uh, I know that you're a candidate now, but um, I tell you, when it's finally over, there's such a sense of relief and release, but but a little bit of a, well, what now? Yeah. So my what now was to start to learn about accelerated learning. And uh, 
there was a company in Melbourne who was promoting um, a course called Money and You, which actually Robert Kiyosaki, author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, was one of the presenters, or in fact, my presenter. And um, let's not go there about Robert, but it wasn't his course. Um, But the people that promoted that in Melbourne were promoting all sorts of amazing people and guess who they had. They had Richard Bandler and John Grinder. Great. So I was totally able to work with the masters um, and immerse myself into NLP. And after the eight years or so of the very kind of rigid, um, more traditional hypnosis of the Australian Hypnosis Society, I just love this Ericksonian NLP stuff. Um, I've never been, though I really do as a psychologist, absolutely like you do, not as a psychologist, but I know that you are very evidence-based. Of course, that's my training. And um, even to this day, I don't think that there's a lot of evidence basis for NLP, though certainly so much, um, uh, many studies and, and whatever. But to me, it was the Pandora's box being opened. Yeah. And, uh, and I just loved learning about it. And in fact, in Australia, we had uh, two major influences, and one um, was um, Robert McNeely, who was a GP and is a and then went into Ericksonian hypnosis. He studied with Erickson, and he lived in Melbourne. He's now in Tasmania. Yeah. So I got to study with him quite a bit over about three or four years, and um, also Doris Brett, who's an Australian and uh, very Ericksonian indirect methods and has written some amazing books. One's called Annie Stories, which Mm. is uh, all about um, helping kids program their minds towards being positive and and be able to solve their own problems. So therefore, I guess I I sort of married together the traditional traditional lines and also the, the Ericksonian and NLP, and um and you know very happily indeed yeah 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 oh brilliant brilliant so so, you know over those years of study and over the sort of longevity of your successful career where are you at as far as hypnosis is concerned i mean how do you define it today um um, and how did you how did you arrive at that definition and how do do you explain hypnosis to to clients and the people that that you encounter that, that, that that you that you have to explain it to if you do even Oh, that's right. I mean, I think I've just integrated so much over so many years. Um, I try to match it to, I guess, the expectation of who I'm speaking to. So if I'm talking to somebody who's um, more professional and experienced, I will say something like a a hypnosis is um, being free from distractions so that you can focus your attention. And I also love the, um, the idea of suspension of disbelief. So to enrol them in the possibilities of anything happening. Mm. But when it's a client, potentially a client, I will tend to go more back to that uh, more traditional. I don't do progressive relaxation because I'm too quick a thinker. That's so boring. But uh, my frame for them is that it's all about trust and rapport. And then there's three things, the, the relaxation, if you want to. There's the power of imagination, which is just everything. And then there are my suggestions uh, with the goal of either solving a problem or programming for future success. Yeah. It's as simple as that. 
Right, yeah. nice, nice. I like that. I like nice. that. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that uh, I find very agreeable in in what you said there. Um, and you've mentioned a bunch of your influences, you know, with Bandler and Grinder and Robert McNeely, Doris Brett. Um, 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 are these people your still your major influences um, within the field and within your career? And um, have there been other books and other authors, other teachers that have taught you? Um, who have been a major influence upon you and, and perhaps what teachers have been the most influential upon you and, and, and why? Well, in those early days, we had virtually no resources whatsoever other than those very difficult to access um, tomes that were in the university libraries. Yeah. Uh, so when um, uh, Corridon Hammond, Corey Hammond, yeah. brought out his magnificent handbook, um, that was once again like being given, you know, the, the genie's wand. It was like, wow, this is amazing. And I think that was 1990. Yeah. And um, I was still referred to that now, though I didn't actually get my own copy until about four years ago because uh, one of the girls that I supervised as a psychologist and I encouraged to become a hypnotherapist because, as you know, well, not, I don't know whether you do, yeah, but I, I needed to clone myself. I needed to have you know, as somebody who trained up. And she was given a PDF of that Hammond um, book, and it's just brilliant. Yeah. And more days now, I mean, I love you, Adam. I've been following you since about 2000, 2009, 2007. Cool. And I just love the way that you are so resourceful, uh, that you share all of these your amazing scripts and ideas. You're so consistent. So you're a wonderful teacher. And also I go for um, Richard uh, Nongard, and I'll tell you a story about him in the yeah. next segment when we talk about sex therapy. Yeah. And Terence Watts, who's also British, and he's got a fabulous book on, on sex called Sorting Out Sex. Mm. So these guys have been very, very influential to me. And, you know, I really have tried to read so many um, of the uh, the newer books that come along. However, more and more, uh, there's just too much to do and too many other creations of my own, as you will discover. Yeah. Um, so there's yeah. always something online to learn from, though, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I could just mine our subject constantly. Um, so within your career um, and, and within, you know, within this, 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 this brilliant and shining career that you've had, uh, what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've, that you've directly witnessed? Well, there's been so many, um, particularly in trainings, I always find that, yeah. uh, that, that yeah. because the members of the audience are, I guess, so, so ready, so primed, um, they don't seem to have so much that's in the way. Though when we talk about the sex therapy, let me tell you, there are a lot of defences there and we have to be very careful. But in my own practice as a sex therapist, I just love the story about this, um, this couple who came to see me and they were in their late 40s. And um, he said that he had premature ejaculation. Mm. Now, often you don't want the partner coming in for sex therapy because you've, you've got to take a, a comprehensive history and, and, you know, what if he slept with 300 prostitutes in the past and his wife's about to find out, you know. But anyway, I said to her, very welcome, because always try to, you know, <laughs> go with what's presenting. Yeah. And uh, she said, Dr. Jan, I came to see you with my husband because I wanted to make sure you weren't one of those sex therapists who wore long black boots and carried a whip. 
So, so I reassured her that I didn't. And uh, so I did send her out of the room when I did some hypnosis with him. Now, he had had uh, premature ejaculation, which is basically uh, ejaculating before two minutes of any kind of stimulation. Okay. And within three sessions, he was lasting. They went to a hotel because they lived in the country. They came down to Melbourne, went to a hotel, and they were going at it for 45 minutes, and he did not lose his erection or ejaculate. I reckon that's a miracle. Yeah, great, great. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's great, major great. progress. And, you, yeah. you know, I, and, and I think, I think additionally, you know, that must have been working wonders in so many other areas of their life as well, you know. Um, you, if your primary support mechanism is is your marriage or your you know your 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 relationship your primary relationship to have you know that being more fulfilling more satisfying you know it begins to have huge echoes into other areas of life absolutely and really for a man to not be able to perform in the way that he thinks is expected not just occasionally, but for most of his life, um, that really undermines his self-esteem and yeah. his confidence in all areas. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we're going to be talking in a bit more depth about um, your, your your sex therapy work in a in, in a while. Um, now, if we could, if we could go back to when you started out um, within this field, you started out as a hypnotherapist or exploring as a hypnosis professional, knowing the stuff that you know now. Is there anything that you'd do differently? And if so, what? And is there any advice the person that you are today would give that younger version of you? And would you share that advice with um, our listeners? Certainly. Well, I think that to get yourself a mentor and um, and to work in a mastermind group is essential and I missed out on both of those things though you know I was able to tap into so many of those amazing people I didn't have any ongoing coaching and um, and also to be able to you know use that um, that primed audience of your peers I know that um, another lady that I've employed who's not a psychologist but a hypnotherapist and you know, there are so, so many wonderful associations now where you don't have to be an academic or even have a degree. And I've, I've watched her over the last five years uh, grow and, um, and bond with her group. And I think, oh, I would have loved that. Mm -hmm. um, another piece of advice I would say is um, if you write scripts, forget them. Um, but I do really recommend that you make recordings and you listen to them and, once again, get feedback from your peers. Like when you say, where, where have I arrived now? Well, I, I probably, I don't know if, if I'm in maybe the top 5%, but I actually have 52 um, audios on Audible, Amazon, 52. Yeah. And uh, that's that's because I just have this um, this gift to be able to record without having to edit and worry about was that good or wasn't that good. Yeah. So I would recommend um, that you, you bond with a group and you stay with that group as you develop. And one other thing that I regret not doing, I would have loved to have studied stage hypno hypnosis. In Australia, we didn't have anybody teaching it for a long, long time. Mm. I've um, certainly researched it in the last 10 years, and I know there are opportunities overseas, but in Australia, no, I don't even know. Partly that was because of that, oh, it's not ethical to be a professional and do stage hypnosis, but I just think that there's so much to learn about, um, about the magic of hypnosis through doing that, and I regret that I didn't have the chance.
Yeah, yeah. You know, I yeah, think yeah. I think there's a lot for for people in the therapy world to learn about the skill set, and that can be imported. Um, now we're gonna we're gonna talk in a lot more depth about 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 your special subjects in a short while. But for now, where can people go to learn more about your work, your approach to hypnosis? Yes, well, I have uh, several websites, um, and uh, I guess the one that has more about hypnosis would be my main blog website, which is um, www.drjanethall.com.au, because we're Australian. Yeah. And, uh, and for the sex therapy to come, it's, uh, it's, it's www.sex-therapy.com.au. So um, drjanethall.com.au and sex-therapy.com.au. Great. There will be links. And there's also, a, yeah, there's also a shop with, with over, you know, 80 products on it, including all those audios, and that's um, drjanethall.com. Great, great. I'll make sure that there are links to all three of those sites um, at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, um, thank you ever so much. It's been really good learning learning about you, um, Dr. Jan. Um, we are going to be back with Dr. Janet Hall. We're going to be talking um, sex therapy and, 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 and the role that hypnosis and hypnotherapy can have to play within that uh, in just a couple of minutes' time. I really enjoyed that. We'll be back with Dr. Jan shortly. On to this week's hypnosis in the news then. Um, I'm talking about two particular stories this week. Um, there's a real similar point that I'm keen to make here. Um, sadly, both stories really cast a huge amount of shade on uh, on the hypnosis field. Um, um, and and there are two stories that have been out in the media this week. Um, the first is um, entitled um, Sex Abuse Charges Against Hypnotherapist Raise Concerns About Safety of Hypnosis. Um, I mean, it's really the second part of that that headline that, um, that, that that concerns me in the way in which hypnosis is becoming sort of guilty by association here. And I'll explain a little bit about what I mean there. Um, and this is a story whereby allegations of sex abuse um, against a Grand Blanc township hypnotherapist have been raising concerns within uh, the profession, apparently. Um, and I'll quote directly from the article. The Genesee County Prosecutor has charged John Gary Tomlinson, 65, with criminal sexual conduct, unlawful imprisonment and assault by strangulation. The charges were filed after a 48-year-old woman came forward and told police Tomlinson sexually assaulted her um, um, on April the 17th whilst she was semi-conscious. The attack happened during a hypnotherapy session in Tomlinson's office, Grand Blanc Township. Now, this is a case of hypnotherapy um, and possibly being presented in a light that suggests that it in and of itself somehow contributed to the crimes being committed here. Um, now, of course, this was a massive abuse of trust uh, of the role that he had and other mechanisms are likely to have been in place as well. Expectation, belief and so on, all things that I'm going to sort of make some reference to again today. But hypnosis in and of itself does require, you know, collaboration. It cannot be used to render someone semi-conscious, as the report states, and unable to resist an assault or question it. I do have more to add, but first let me just refer to the second story, which is 
is entitled Methodist Minister Used Hypnosis Before Sexually Abusing Boys Caught Hears. And this was in the Telegraph um, here in the UK. And the article states, I'll quote, Methodist minister used hypnosis to indecently assault four boys in his months or at their home, a court has heard. Um, and there ends the, the, the quote. Um, um, so, so how did he actually use hypnosis um, um, to, 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 to do the assault? You know, um, um, I think it's more a case of that, you know, he was a trusted minister. He was a religious figure a figure of standing in the community, preying on young boys who were members of his congregation. The mechanisms used to abuse these boys are not those that typically and correctly describe the mechanisms by which hypnosis has been proven to function by researchers and academics. Um, um, in one of the incidents um, reported within this case, the accused allegedly groped one victim in a vestry while hypnotising him to help with his nerves. Um, and the witness told police that he felt powerless and stupid during the process. Now, I understand this um, and, and, and I empathise, um, but that's more likely to be a shock response, one of fear as well, you know, frozen by fear and a variety of other, you know, um, um, previously mentioned mechanisms. In fact, all the boys openly admit that they actually feigned a trance, to use their terminology, they feigned a trance as a coping mechanism. So they were sort of, um, um, they, they were pretending that they were hypnotised um, as a means of coping with it. Now, real hypnotic responsiveness has been proven to be impossible um, to fake. If you apply evidence gleaned from Stroop test research in particular, the gold standard that proves hypnosis responding is more than pure compliance and fakery. Again, I think the role of hypnotist, in addition to other authority roles that the man had, is more to blame than the use of hypnosis itself being wielded. Um, hypnosis is collaborative, you know. A hypnotised individual needs to engage their own imagination, must use their own cognitions, must create a level of self-deception at times. They must respond and react to the suggestions given. You know, the individual's an active agent in the process. Um, as I've said before, they're, they're not a docile automatron, you know, responding in this sort of machine-like fashion to all suggestions given by the hypnosis, the, the, the hypnotist, and, and thus being laid bare um, um, as far as the abuse is concerned. Um, these situations in these news stories, they're absolute horror stories. And, I, you know, I truly hope that justice is done, um, that the truth is uncovered, and anyone who's committed any crime is duly punished. Additionally, you know, these men um, using hypnosis in this fashion bring the field of hypnosis and hypnotherapy into disrepute with the way in which they've used it here, which is, which is uh, you know, which is soul destroying for, for, for us that, that are in the profession really wanting to portray it in a healthy fashion. However, the portrayal of hypnosis in these stories is incorrect and the understanding that the reporting media and those involved with the cases seem to have um, seems to be misplaced and wrong. The addition of hypnosis to these stories makes the stories much more interesting, more scary, and gives more of a sinister impact. Um, but other mechanisms were at play here, much more than hypnosis. The perception of hypnosis will have contributed, I'm sure, um, um, as far as the, the, the alleged victims are concerned. But it cannot be wielded in the ways that these stories are suggesting. And that's frustrating to see such myth and misconception being used in such emotive and terrible news stories. And 
And, you know, the, the issue for me is that hypnosis ends up being guilty by association. And, and you know, hypnosis being guilty by association um, um, really harms uh, uh, the, the, the field in general. Um, links to these stories and these articles being referred to here are listed on this page um, of this week's podcast episode or over on the, the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. So next up, we have this week's professional discussion then. And I welcome back Dr. Jan Hall. Um, firstly, I have to say that, as I mentioned in the upcoming discussion, in order to prepare for this podcast, I researched the subject of hypnotherapy for sexual health. And there's a very limiting amount of information and resource to be found out there. I also never realised what a specialist subject this is and how much specialist training and education is required. I also really now recognise that some of the special considerations required in the training and practice when dealing with sexual issues of the type discussed here today. You know, there's there's a lot to learn in this discussion. Um, you really appreciate it. Please do um, um, do your best to wade through the the sound interference um, um, to really really hone in on some of the the brilliant information that Dr. Jan offers up. Here is this week's professional discussion with Dr. Jan. Enjoy. <music> So I'm rejoined by Dr. Jan Hall, this week's guest, and we're going to be talking about sex therapy, an area that Dr. Jan specialises in. Um, first of all, um, Jan, can, can you just give us a little bit of an idea with regards to your own journey here again, and, and, and how did you come to specialise in this in this specific area? Thank you, Adam. I always like to be a little bit naughty here and say that um, I actually got into sex therapy because I've got the balls for it. <laughs> it's not somewhere. It's not somewhere the faint-hearted should go. No. You really have to be comfortable with your own sexuality. Yeah. And you need to be basically um, able to keep your composure um, pretty well, whatever comes up. Uh, there really are some quite amazing paraphilias which uh, which people uh, don't suffer from. You can't say they're suffering from them. They're enjoying them in many ways, but normally it's because of a partner finding out that they've been told, you know, get thee to the therapist and fix it. Mm. But anyway, so it, it is being a sex therapist really is a still a little bit like being, you know, one of those scouts at the front of the wagon train going right across the the, the West um, in, in, into the wilderland. Um, there's so little information, though there is more and more being researched, but uh, it really is something that I've had to be very creative with. And I got into uh, a very good position where because of my creativity and the audios that I was producing, in 1998 I was asked to be a regular commentator on a television show we had in, in Australia called Sex Life. Mm. And after two years, it was suddenly pulled off because of some politics in Australia where the Prime Minister was basically threatened by you know, a very, very right wing um, on his own politician, get that filthy show off or else. Um, anyway, then in 2000, I wrote the book Sex Wise, which is for teenagers and parents of. In 2004, I wrote Sex Life Solutions, which is quite a potpourri of all the problems and my solutions for them. Yeah. 
In 2002, I did my very first Australian Society for Hypnosis conference, which was in Tasmania, which is probably the coldest place in Australia. This year, they're having it in Fraser Island in Queensland, which is so much nicer. Yeah. And so about every three years, I get asked, I get asked to do a some kind of a training day for either hyp- hypnotherapists or the Psychology Society. And um, so it's just been, you know, a continuing journey. And in 2013, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to Boston, USA, to the uh, Society for the Advancement of Sexual Healing uh, Conference. Now, that actually is such a long-winded name, but it's actually for therapists of sex addicts. And they, that was one of the most um, amazingly wonderful conferences uh, in Australia. We, we only have 25 million people. They have 250 million, I think, in the States. Mm. But uh, it seemed like nearly every second person there was a reformed sex addict. We don't even have a sex addict therapist association in Australia. You do. You have the most amazing um, a practitioner called Paula Hall, my mm. name, Janet Hall, but Paula Hall, yeah. who um, has done TED speeches. I don't, have you met her, Adam? No, I haven't. I Paula haven't. Hall. I'm going to go and research her today. Well, you, you definitely should. She is amazing. Um, to my knowledge, she doesn't do hypnosis, but boy, oh boy, she is very, very groundbreaking in, in, the, in the UK. So, you know, this whole field of, of, of what is sex addiction and, and how is it treated is really just phenomenal now and uh, needs to be addressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me, in what ways can hypnosis and hypnotherapy be used to help with sexual health? Well, I really like my idea of making audio tapes for people um, because they get to rehearse their successful sexual performance. Mm. You know, that that if you have to wait to the opportunity and it turns out to be a dud, all you're doing is reinforcing that that negative um, outcome. So you can basically condition your mind and your body connection to have some kind of easy, more confident performance and expectation of it. You're also overcoming your anxiety and fears through the positive suggestions and you can listen together so it is an opportunity a way for um, your partner to be involved without having to come in and and um, be part of the actual therapy I love so that's yeah the hypnosis with the audio tapes very very useful for that and hypnosis for uh, if you go by my definitions of um, basically helping people solve problems, well, there's just so much that's been repressed in so many people's sexual development and history, often, you know, extremely painful uh, experiences of being raped age five, or continual incense by a, by a trusted family member, a brother or even a father. Um, that that uh, repression Look, I'm not one to say you must get at it no matter what. Mm. I'm really not. There are some people who, you know, better off letting the sleeping dogs lie. But for people who are ready and and who trust you and you are going to help them through it and support them all the way through to enable them to to go back to that, um, that, that painful experience and in some way or other get closure, um, feel a sense of power, tell that perpetrator that it was not okay, um, that is a magnificent win for everybody. Yeah. So, um, uh, so mostly it's so going backwards in time and using that ability to, um, to uh, rewrite the past 
um, and to um, and to accept uh, that you were a small child and you couldn't help yourself. And then, of course, to make this rehearsal of successful, uh, not just sex, but with successful intimate relationships yeah. um, for yeah, the future. Yeah. It's very soothing. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, there are... There are a lot of sexual related issues, aren't there? Um, and which which cover such a broad spectrum. Um, and I know that, that you're involved with with teaching hypnosis and sex therapy. And you know, we we, we had a brief brief mention of this off air. Tell, tell me a little bit. How does teaching hypnosis in sex therapy then differ from from mainstream hypnosis training? Because I'm guessing there's some sensitivities that need to be considered, and so on. Well, absolutely. You you just have to be so careful um, about um, who might uh, be volunteering and what might come out of that. Um, how traumatizing it might be for the observers, uh, much less for the actual. Um, a person being hypnotized so uh, you know we, we have quite a lot of ethical discussions about that and um, you know the, the Australian Psychological Society would would warn you not to do that at all um, but we know that it's um, that through the trusting and, and supportive environment that so many people can be assisted and one thing I also wanted to mention Adam is if you go back to that um, that Hammond handbook from 1990 one thing, right in his introduction, he says that um, too many therapists with only a superficial knowledge of sex therapy techniques are willing to treat sexual dysfunction mm. and that an elementary knowledge of sex therapy um, that's mostly just been read is absolutely not adequate. So I say to the people who come, you know, the professionals who come to train with me, um, just because you've done a one or two day workshop, you cannot go out there and say that you are, you know, expert sex therapist, hypnotherapist, because you know nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah. At that point in time, that, that's Game of Thrones, of course, for those yeah, who yeah, don't know yeah, what yeah, I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you know, you are my first guest that has ever nailed a game that, that slipped in a Game of Thrones cultural reference. This is a happy day. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> But I, you know, um, um, yeah, I, I get that. That you know, it's 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 a subject matter, and it's it's a topic that requires, you know, you know, in-depth, comprehensive specialist training. And um, um, um yeah, I, you know, I, I really get a sense of that. I mean, one of the things that I really get a sense of as well is, you know, in order to to prepare myself for, for this particular call with you, for example, and so that I didn't feel that that, that you know completely exposed. I went and had a look at, at the kind of depth of research that there is with regards to hypnosis and and working with sex therapy and you know it's, it's quite slim pickings and the kind of books and the kind of references that people can go you know outside of your own work for example there's not masses out there is there no there isn't and it's incredible i talk about how you know your sexuality is really one quarter of who you are if you think about spirit mind heart and body and body being sexuality um, and there are four legs on a table, you cut one off, that is if you cut off your connection to your sexuality, that table will fall over. Mm. And so we need to address it and we need to give people permission and then we need to help them when they get stuck. And um, can we talk a little bit about how people get stuck, like yeah, what the problems are do. for women? Do. 
Well, for women, um, the whole thing about whether or not you can have an orgasm, uh, one of the major facts that people need to know is that most, uh, only 20, 20%, 25% of women have intercourse vaginal orgasms. And uh, this is still uh, so much ignorance around that. But expecting a woman to have an org- org- orgasm that way can make her, and when she can't, can make her feel very, very self-conscious. And, and then the, the, the conscious mind is, is booting up and, and she's down on herself and she's, you know, oh, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. And so she's basically reinforcing all the negative expectations. And if we talk about, sex actually almost being a trance state because it's so transformational, you are so in the moment, or you should be, um, she's never going to have an orgasm. So for women, it's all about um, sexual empowerment. I like to say, you know, I've got a plastic magic wand here and I'm going to wave it over you and give you permission to be that hot, sexy woman that your mother never gave you permission to be. Mm. So when when it comes to guys, um, there's... There's, well, the two main areas we think of is achieving and maintaining erections and overcoming premature ejaculation. I love the, 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 the quip, um, P.E. Is, um, is the young man's curse and the old man's nightmare. Mm. Um, you, get, you get that one, Adam? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, yeah, so really many do. men under the age of 20 have premature ejaculation and, um, and so the guys who then, you know, basically mature, their nervous system matures through that, uh, then they think back on that and they think, oh, boy, that was horrible. But, but one of my interests now is, um, is, is the opposite, and it's called, uh, it's called um, inability or delay in ejaculation. Originally in, in the literature it was called retarded ejaculation. What man wants to think he's retarded sexually? <laughs> yeah, that, that is very counterintuitive. and there's so little information written out in there i've got a a chapter in my book and i do have an audio which is um on on um on amazon and audible uh but it's certainly um a very interesting and mostly it pretty well is psychological you know Mm. the the erections and the pe truly can be just a a maturational thing with with the with the body mind but the inability to ejaculate is normally some kind of psychological blockage. For instance, the guy that uh, had a very bad marriage where often the woman would only have what I call log sex, you know, that's where she lays there like a log. Yeah. And, uh, and so he just has no sense of his, of his, um, of his manliness and uh, desirability and and everything just goes on to once again that conscious mind running those horrible audios um so that's a major issue now Mm. and uh, the other thing is um permission to be able to masturbate If, if you can't play with your own musical instruments and learn how to you know maximize their effect because you've got your your, your mother's or father's voice saying that that's naughty or bad or that, you know, you'll go, yeah. what do they say, you'll go blind, <laughs> yeah. Um, then, yeah, then you're never going to uh, really be able to relax and, and move into that trance effect, which is what sex can be. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah this is fascinating. Um, um, you mentioned in there um, that this idea of sex is a trance state, and I, I, I've often heard... Um, um, 
the idea, especially people that, that, that work with pornography addicts, which is something that, that you know, with, with the emergence of the internet has, has, has emerged as much more of a, a common issue that therapists are working with. I've often heard people refer to watching pornography as being a, a trance state as well, similar to being uh, similar to, to hypnosis and the mechanisms by which hypnosis works. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, absolutely. If you think about, um, you know, trance effects like um, like time being suspended, um, for right, instance, yeah. um, and, and, and the power of the imagination. I mean, I've worked with men who will masturbate to porn, I mean, on and off, for, for up to six hours at a time. Mm. Now, this is majorly dysfunctional. Um, it actually eats into your day or night, making you, you know, if, if it's night, you, you get like four hours sleep and then you're supposed to function the next day. Um, and they become, they move on what we call the slippery slope down. Uh, I'm not saying that they'll go down into, um, you know, child pornography, but, but it's all about the chase for the next turn on, the next turn on. And then they can fall down that slope and find themselves watching something which is, you know, illegal and um, quite disgusting to many of us. But with pornography now, because it's just so abundant, we call it abundant, anonymous, affordable, like it's free mostly, mm. um, it is real trap. But I wanted to share a story by, by Richard Mongard where um, I, I remember in 2012, one of the practitioners said that, and he'd had a 57-year-old overweight man who came to see him because his wife said, um, why aren't we having any sex? So the guy said that he basically just had lost all, all drive. Um, and so the therapist kept on seeing him, which was, he actually even admits, I wasn't doing any therapeutic work, but we talked about the world's problems. How pathetic is that? Anyway, yeah. after three months, he said the therapist asked if, he, if, if, he, if the man and his wife had ever watched pornographic movies. And he said, no, they hadn't. So, so the therapist actually showed him a link with some mild porn on it. And this actually fixed the guy's problem. He went home, got his wife to watch it, and then he said that he wanted to perform just like the guy in the, in the film clip. So Richard Mongod slammed back straight away and said, um, look, the use, of, use, the use of porn in, in sex therapy as a referred or, or you know, advocated um, practice is uh, very quite controversial. But uh, in fact, that um, uh, any person who's not licensed specifically in sex therapy, couple therapy or psychology would be a fool to recommend it. Right. Um, and even those licensed to treat sexual disorders could be at great, um, great exposure. So, you know, it's really... It's really a challenge, isn't it, to yeah. – to, uh, and also in practice. Let me tell you, when I was making those audios, um, this was in 96. In those days, you had to go to a sound studio and spend a lot of money. So I was making these audios on, you know, helping men with erections and doing hypnosis parts to, to that all. But then I also thought, well, I, I've got to deal with sexual fantasies. So I wrote some and I took myself um, – a, a, a half a bottle of white of wine into the into the sound studio because because I felt so so um, vulnerable about uh, doing these very yeah. well they were they're, they're they're erotic now this is a huge issue in um, in practice as a therapist because you know this is prime fodder for 
transference, isn't it? Absolutely. Where your client could become extremely aroused, um, totally, you know, seduced by your voice. Uh, the cocoon of the, the therapy office, which is usually warm and quiet and safe, um, and just about anything could happen. So so it's also very, very fraught, and, um, and you have to be very responsible, set it up, frame it particularly well, um, and or just give them the audios and get them to study it at home where <laughs> you can't be implicated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the, the very nature of things like hypnosis are quite intimate as well anyway, aren't they? You know, the, 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 the degree of trust that's required um, for it to be effective and so on. You know, I, 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 can, I can really appreciate that. Um, um, Jan, could you share for um, for those for those that are that are tuning into this show? Um, could you share perhaps some good references that people can explore to go and research this this area of interest and this topic? Yes, well, back to the Hammond PDF. Um, he cites then. So what he did was for that for that handbook. I'm not sure if you know this, but but he basically asked. Um, just about anybody he knew who was a, a, a hypnotherapist, um, qualified ones, I think, uh, academically qualified. Yeah. And he said that uh, there was hardly anybody could come up with anything or, or felt good about coming up with them. He put his in. And t I'll tell you what, some of them, when I read them, they are so twee. But, you know, at yeah. least it's somewhere. It's a bit of a start. Yeah. Um, but they do. He, there were two books by the, uh, I don't know quite sure how to say, Areos. Daniel Arreos yeah, 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 and Daniel Robert Arreos, yeah. Reckon in 1982. And that was called Sexual Joy Through Self-Hypnosis. And then Daniel did Hope Hypnosis and Sex Therapy in 1982. Now, that's an awful long time ago. Yeah. Terence Watts in 2001, which is Sorting Out Sex. Um, I, I, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. He's extremely clever and sometimes runs rings around me and I'm not quite sure how to use some of his stuff. Um and in Australia, in our Australian Journal of Clinical Hypnosis in 2007, uh, there were two fellows called Kraft, I don't know if they're brothers or what, Tom Kraft and David Kraft, and, and they did a very good uh, uh, article on hypnosis, psychiatry and sexual disorders. Mm. So, you know, there at least is a... There at least is a start for those of us who do want to, you know, get our basic um, uh, research evidence and, um, and well-qualified... Uh, uh, recommendations yeah absolutely absolutely i'm going to be uh going and going going in the back end of my university uh, resources today and tracking some of that stuff down um of course your own books um sex wise and sex life solutions um, um would be useful and i'm guessing as well yes, references um and and there'll, there'll be information on some of these subjects over at your websites um the sex hyphen yeah. Sorry, and the scripts that I've actually used on my um, on my audios are all basically created by me. Um, sometimes I actually I, I actually get tears in my eyes of joy and um, and amazement with with how creative that I can be and how affirming. Uh, and I'm sure that there are lots of people out there who have that potential um, if they just you know trust and and allow that affirmative hypnosis to emerge from them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I, I am absolutely fascinated. You know, I'm deeply uh, fascinated in this subject matter, and 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 I'm currently, you know, quite ignorant with regards to it. You know, I, I wish I knew more, um, and it's certainly going to be an area that I'm going to explore. I hope that uh, more people that are listening are inspired in the same way that I am. 
and, and, and also humbled, you know, with your own depth of knowledge, your own enthusiasm for this. And, um, you know, you've been incredibly generous and, um, and also, you know, really brave to have been doing this, you know, for the longevity of career that you have in the direction that you've been in. Um, thank you ever so much um, for coming and being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. It really has been a goal and I've achieved it and I've loved it and I love you and I hope that everybody else really does get inspired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm certain yeah. that they will. Um, Dr. Jan Hall, thank you for being this week's guest on thank Hypnosis you. Weekly. I really enjoyed that. How about that, Dr. Jan? A eh? casually throwing in a Games of Thrones, a Game of Thrones reference like that. And I, I, I like that she pointed it out afterwards. Um, but, you know, geeks like me knew what she was referring to. I loved that. I, lo I also loved that comment about starting work as a sex therapist because I've got the balls for it. Hey, I enjoyed that. Lots to learn from that discussion. My thanks to Dr. Joan. Um, so on to this week's uh, evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. Um, the fact of the week is this, and that is that hypnosis was found to be as effective as CBT and outperformed waiting list control groups when treating bulimia nervosa. Um, and this is a study by Griffiths and colleagues, back in the late 1990s um, in a paper entitled The Short-Term Follow-Up Effects of Hypnobehavioral and Cognitive Behavioral Treatment for Bulimia Nervosa. Now, the study met Chambliss and Holland criteria for consideration as an empirically supported treatment. And there's a reference over at, and there's a link to the, to the study, um, over at the uh, uh, Hypnosis Weekly website, this particular page. Um, I've also included a link because you might also enjoy um, a paper by the study author, Griffiths, once again, especially if you have an interest in eating disorders and using hypnosis to help with them. Um, I've offered up um, a link to an additional paper that's uh, very useful indeed. Um, so that's it for this week's 73rd edition. I do have many exciting guests coming up in future weeks. Um, we'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. Next time out, I welcome former Human Givens trainer Renee van der Flot and we'll be talking about her work with The Creative Mind and you're going to love that show. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website www.hypnosis-weekly.com I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Accordingly, please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else and really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again to Dr. Janet Hall. My thanks to you as always for tuning in. My name is Adam East and this has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Hypnosis.